Hey, we're in a series that we're calling Graces to Cure. Um, I, I think there's a few copies of the book out there yet if you don't have one. It's a great book. We're in chapter three today. And it starts with this quote, and I, and I want to read it to you. There are two gods, the one we see through our shame and the one who actually is. There are two gods, the one we see through our shame and the one who actually is. And you know that throughout this series, what I've talked about is that Jesus isn't a distance from us. He's right next to us. He's got his arm around us. And all of our sin and all of its ugliness is right in front of us. Jesus isn't hiding on the other side of our sin. Jesus has got his arm around us and he's looking at that pile and he's saying, Woo, Rob, you've been busy. You've been busy. But you know what, Rob? We, we can tackle this. And you know what? We leave here and we're like all excited. Yeah, grace is awesome. But then we have a bad day, bad week, bad month, bad year. We're like, Jesus can't still be with his arm around me, right? I mean, Jesus has got to be disappointed in me. Jesus has got to be saying, Rob, you didn't turn out to be who I thought you were going to be. Rob, why are you falling back into this? We think that's what Jesus is doing to us because of our shame, because of our guilt. So is the Jesus that we're seeing accurate Jesus or the Jesus that we've created through our shame and our guilt? And the reality is, am I the only one in this room to ever feel like Jesus is distant from me because of my guilt and my shame? We feel that. We feel that. And so is it an accurate description? Well, it depends. It is an accurate description if we're talking about the God that our shame creates. It's not an accurate description if we believe what God says about himself. And that's what we've been hitting on in this series. And that verse, it is impossible to please God without faith. We hear stuff in this series that God says about himself or that God says about us, and it is hard to believe. It's hard to believe. Granted, that's where the faith comes in. Without faith, without us believing, okay, God, even though what you're saying, I don't feel, but I choose to believe what you say is true about yourself and about me. That's how we please God. And we're going to keep coming back to that verse throughout the teaching today. Question, how do I know if I'm viewing God out of my shame and sin or if I'm seeing God as he really is? So I've got some questions that I want to run through and again, all of this is on our digital notes page. And if you don't know how to access it, just stop at the Welcome Center and they can show you how to do that so you have a copy of all this. So here we go. Do I measure my closeness with God by how little I sin or by my trust or my faith that to the extent that the Father loves Jesus, Jesus loves me? How do you measure your closeness with God? Do I primarily see myself as a saved sinner or a saint who still sins? How do you see yourself? When I worship or talk to God, do I spend more time rehearsing my failures or enjoying his presence? I just got done worship. Were you primarily focusing on how awesome God is? Or how much you failed this past week? Am I drawn to authors or teachers who challenge me to get serious about my sin or those who encourage me to trust my new identity in Christ? What do I regularly spend more time on, being preoccupied with and beating myself up over my failures or enjoying the presence and love of God? 
Am I convinced that by conquering my sin, I become more pleasing to God? Or do I believe because of Jesus, the Father is already fully pleased with me? Woo! That is a great question. I should just take a mic and pass it around the room and everybody answers. I'm just going to shoot straight with you. Overwhelmingly, we believe, we believe that the better day I had without sin, God loves me more. We believe it in our core. We live like that and we act like that. Do I believe that spiritual maturity comes through more disciplines or through God's grace? Last one. Do I read the Bible as I ought, I should, or I can, I will? See, the reality is that we all have this wrong view of God that our shame feeds. And it's not something we've done consciously, right? We looked at last week, sin entered the world, and the very next verse in the Bible, shame enters the world. And so here we are, we've been living in a world that's filled with sin. We sin ourselves, and that shame just comes along with it. And so it's just part of what's in us. And it shaped our view of God. So how do we begin to sort of pull that stuff apart? And so let me just go through this stuff. The, the book gives these examples. And I think it's good for us to begin to think through where's that stuff coming from? So what's feeding my wrong view of God? A lot of us have a belief that God can't really satisfy me as much as my favorite sin. Last week, I talked about that sin. Let's be honest. You know why so many of us continue to hang on to that sin? We don't think God's going to fulfill us as much. So we give God other stuff in our lives, but we're going to hang on to this. Why? Because that's where we really get our fulfillment. And we've convinced ourselves God's not going to fulfill us like that. Some of us believe that I've always been this way and I can't change. Some of us believe that there's something fundamentally wrong with me. You could be sitting in here saying, well, you know what? What Rob's teaching about grace applies to everyone else, but it doesn't work for me because there's something fundamentally wrong with me. Or we believe that God's withheld good from me, so I can't totally trust him. We've prayed for good stuff over the years, good stuff. Not selfish stuff, good stuff. Healings. God would bless people. We've prayed that God would give us a mate or that God would give us a family, or that God would protect someone who was going through it, and they, they had a tragic death. And we said, well, you know what? I don't know that God's really good. And if I don't know that God's really good, I don't know that I can totally trust him. And some of us believe that we're failures, so why even try to be something different? See, I don't know what it is that's in you that you connect with when you see up there, but we all have this stuff that, that comes out of our shame and so what I want to talk to you about today is adjusting our view of who God is and who I am in Christ. And that verse, it is impossible to please God without faith. I want to share five big truths about you and about me as a follower of Jesus Christ. If you've given your heart to Jesus Christ, if you've asked Jesus to forgive your sin, th these five huge grace truths are, are true in your life. Doesn't mean you're going to feel it. It doesn't mean you're going to leave here and say, "Woo, I feel awesome. You may feel just the same as you do now, but it doesn't change the fact that it's true of you because God says it's true, and in faith, you have to start believing that what God says about you is true. That's how you please God. Do you catch that? Too many of us are living by our emotion. 
Well, I don't feel that. Put your feelings aside. Put your faith front and center and say, God, you know I got unbelief. Help, help my unbelief. I'm going to put my faith in you. That's what we're talking about. All right? So here we go. First of all, I now have as much of God as I'm ever going to have. I want you to realize that. But let me just say this. If you're here and you've never said, Jesus, I know I have sin in my life. You died to forgive my sin. Please forgive my sin because I can't do anything about it. If you've never said that, you can say it right now, and everything we're going to describe is true about you. You put your hope in Christ. Put your, put your faith in Jesus. And when we do, we have immediately as much of God as we're ever going to have. Just stop and think about that. On your worst day, on your worst day, you have as much God as you're ever going to have in your life. You do not have more of God when you live better, when you give more, when you sin less. Just think about that. Why, does, why do we say that? Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, don't you realize your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives where? In you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you. You got the Holy Spirit. Paul wrote in Galatians, I was put to death on a cross with Christ. I don't live anymore. It is Christ who lives in me. I still live in my body. I love how he says that. So it's still, Paul's like, it's still me living, but I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to save me. So the Holy Spirit's living in you. The Spirit of Jesus is living in you. And then Hebrews quotes the Old Testament where God himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And you know what? I don't care how bad of a week you had. I don't care how bad of a morning you've had. I don't care what you were doing last night, who you were doing it with, and you feel so unworthy. None of that matters. Because God says when you give your life to Jesus Christ and you ask him to forgive, you have as much of God as you're ever going to have. And he does not withhold himself from you because you mess up. I don't feel like that, Pastor Up. Great. In faith, believe it to be true. That's how you please God. Second truth. God's goal is not to change me. I'm already changed. Woo! You ever have someone in, you're in a relationship with and all they want to do is fix you? Man, that's tough. Some of you are like looking at people next to you. Don't look at your neighbor. <laughs> I'm sorry if I got somebody in trouble. But you know what that's like. They want to fix this, fix that, change that. And you feel like all I'm doing is trying to conform to them. Here's what I want you to know. God is not out to change you because you're transformed already. So it isn't up to you to change your behavior so he loves you more. He's already done his work in you. What am I talking about? Second Corinthians, the Apostle Paul. All of us who have had that veil removed, what's he talking about? It's imagery. Remember when Moses went up to the mountain to meet with God, and he came down off the mountain because he had a face-to-face meeting with God? Moses' face was shining so bright that he actually had to put a veil over it because he was freaking people out. Paul's saying, we've come face-to-face with Jesus. We've come face-to-face spiritually with God. So our faces should be glowing, but we don't have veils on. We're supposed to be showing the world who Jesus is. So he says, you know, the veils have been removed so everybody can see the glory, reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. 
The word that the Bible uses is the word metamorphosis, which literally means a change of former nature into a completely different one. It's a caterpillar going into a butterfly. What does the caterpillar have to do to become a butterfly? Does it have to go to butterfly school? No. A caterpillar doesn't have to eat butterfly food. What does a caterpillar have to do? Be a caterpillar. And it is inevitable. Because what God has genetically put into that caterpillar is his destiny. What God has transformed and put in you is inevitably your destiny. God's not out to change you. He's transformed you already. But I don't feel transformed in faith, believe it. In faith, believe it. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. God says you're transformed. Either he's right or you're right when you say you're not. God says you're transformed. Look at this. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know him. My goal is not to be changed. I'm already metamorphosized. I don't know if that's a word. I just made it up. We have been metamorphosized, people. Let's acknowledge it and let's live like it. See, I am not a sinner in God's eyes anymore. I am a saint, a holy one, because he sees me in Jesus Christ. So I am a saint who still sins. Let's get the verbiage right. Let's realize that that work in us is done. We've been transformed. And we're on our path to be who God destined us to be. It's that caterpillar maturing into the butterfly. See, my goal is to mature into what I already am in Christ. And then the Bible says, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. That's who we are in Jesus Christ. Righteous, we're right with God. We do the right thing. Holy, we've been set apart for a special purpose. That is who we are. And we have to put it on every day. Hey, I recently read a story of a person who was walking around their center, their town center, naked. And the cops were called and picked up this person and took him away. I am glad that there are no naked people here in church today. I can't speak for people watching us online, but in this room, no naked people. Why? Because when you got up in the morning, you put on your clothing. Same thing the Bible says. Put on your new nature. Put it on. You put on your shirt, put on your new nature. I'm righteous, I'm holy. You put on your pants, put on your new nature. I'm holy and righteous. Every day, remind yourself, I'm holy, I'm righteous. Put it on. Why are these disciplines we talk about so important? Reading your Bible, coming to church, worshiping with God, being with other Christians. Why are those disciplines so important? Because you're putting on your new nature. You're putting on your holiness. You're putting on your righteousness. The world isn't going to put it on for you. Your family is not going to put it on for you. You have to put it on for yourself. You have to put it on. Now watch this. We've been transformed. Now you say, well, well Pastor Rob, you're splitting hairs. Well, watch this. From time to time, I have someone who's a follower of Jesus Christ say to me, you know what, I just can't help myself. Because as Jeremiah says, my heart is desperately wicked. And I have no idea all of the bad stuff that's in my heart. 
I can't help myself. And I got to tell you something. Every time I hear that, I cringe inside. Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that is not true about you. Why do I say that? Well, because grace in Jesus changes everything. Jeremiah was writing before Jesus. Jeremiah was writing before the cross. Jeremiah was writing before grace. We live after Jesus died on the cross after grace. Watch what God says about our hearts. Once you were slaves of sin, but thanks be to God, you've become what? Obedient. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you are obedient in your heart. You know, the, the fun stuff now, we got to get that obedience out of our heart and into our lives. Woo, good luck with that. That's why we put righteousness on every day. That's why we put holiness on every day. Because it's already in our hearts. Our hearts have been transformed. Our hearts have been renewed. So, but thanks be to God, you've become obedient in your heart to that pattern of teaching to which you've been delivered. Now, having been set free from sin, you've become slaves of righteousness. You have been set free from the power of sin in your life. You do not have to bow to the sin in your life. You are now a slave of righteousness. Yeah, but Pastor Rob, I don't feel that. In faith, believe that it's true. And put it on every day. Put on your righteousness every day. And say to yourself, I am no longer a slave to sin. I'm a slave to righteousness. Rightness. That's what God has done in transforming our hearts. So Jeremiah's wicked heart was before Jesus, before he died on the cross, and before grace. That is not a description of our hearts as followers of Jesus Christ. My transformation is not theoretical, it's literal. People are going to say, well, you know what? What you're describing, Rob, is spiritual. One day I'm going to stand before God, and then I'm going to be complete. I hear what you're saying. But my transformation is done, and it's real. Why do I say that? Here's a verse we've seen in the study. Christ had no sin, but God made him become sin. God did this for us so that in Christ, we could become right with God. And in past weeks, I, I, I've described this verse. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin, literal sin. Jesus literally became sin. Jesus took your sin and your sin and your sin and my sin and put it on himself. Which is why he said to the Father, why have you forsaken me? Because for the first time in Jesus' eternal existence, he was separated from the Father. Because he became literal sin for us so that he could forgive our literal sin. And the Bible says because Jesus became literal sin, we become literal righteousness. It's a transaction. Jesus takes your sin. When he asks Jesus to forgive your sin, he gives you righteousness. Now listen, I don't want to get too geeky on you. I don't often share stuff like this. I, I have to share this. New Testament's written in Greek. They have tenses in their language just like we do, past tense, present tense, future tense. There's one tense in the Greek called the pluperfect, and you're like, plu what? It's pluperfect. It's used to describe something in the past 
that is a completed action. Okay? It's something that happened in the past that's done, complete, over. When Paul wrote that we would become right or righteous with God, he uses the pluperfect tense. It's over. You are complete. You're right with God. It isn't an installment plan that God has. And I'm like, oh, God, I really had a bad month. And God's like, well, I'm not going to make that installment then on your righteousness. Let's wait and see what happens. It's over, people. When you give your life to Jesus, he makes you righteous. You're righteous. Put on your righteousness. Watch this. My view of me is my greatest commentary of my view of God. How do you view God? Out of your shame? Out of your sin? Or do you view God as he is, as he describes himself to us? In Christ lives all the fullness of God in the human body. So you also are what? Complete. Complete. You lack nothing to live a life that honors God. You need nothing more in your life to honor God with your choices. You are complete. And here's the cool thing. It's pluperfect tense. Same one as we were made right. We were made complete. Past tense, completed action. It's over. But you know what I have to do every day? Put on my completeness. I got to remind myself I am complete in Christ. I am complete in Christ. I am complete in Christ. And then that sin comes along and says, hey, let's go. Let's go hang out. We've been doing this for decades. You know you need me. No, I don't need you because in faith I know I'm complete in Christ. See, that's putting on the new nature. That's what it looks like to put on the new nature. See, my job is not to try to change from who I was to who I should be. So many of us are focusing on the wrong thing. We think God's like, waiting. well, Rob, you know what? When you get your act together, you let me know, and then I'm going to come down and walk with you. Nope, that's not my job. You know what my job is? My job is to mature into who I already am in Christ. That's my job. That's your job. Put on a new nature. Put on a new nature. In faith, in faith, believe. What God says about you is true. Not because you earned it, not because you deserve it, but because Jesus is so awesome. He became sin for me on the cross so I could become righteous and have his grace. The book ends with a description, and it's God saying, like, people still have this wrong view of me. And so it's, it's God thinking out loud, like, what if I communicate more to them? Will it change them? And, and I, I want to close by reading this to you. It's God speaking. What if I told them who they are now, like we've been talking about? What if I take away any element of fear? What if I tell them I'll always love them, that I love them right now as much as I love my only son? What if I tell them there are no records of past offenses, of how little they pray, or how often they've let me down? 
What if I tell them they're actually righteous right now? What if I tell them I'm crazy about them? What if I tell them that if I'm their savior, they're going to heaven no matter what, it's a done deal? What if I tell them they have a new nature, that they're saints, not saved sinners? What if I tell them I actually live in them now, my love, my power, and nature at their disposal? What if I told them they don't have to put on masks? That they don't need to pretend we're close? What if they knew that when they mess up, I'll never retaliate? What if they were convinced bad circumstances aren't my way of evening the score? What if they knew the basis of our friendship isn't how little they sin, but how much they allow me to love them? What if I tell them they can hurt my heart, but I'll never hurt theirs? What if I tell them they can open their eyes when they pray and still go to heaven? What if I tell them there's no secret agenda, no trap door? What if I tell them this isn't about their self-effort, but about allowing me to live through them? And then the book says this, God's given us the DNA of righteousness. We are saints. Nothing we do will make us more righteous than we already are. Nothing we do will alter this reality. God knows our DNA. He knows that we're Christ in me. And now God's asking us to join him in what he already knows is true. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hey, will you stand with me, please? We're gonna pray. Where would we be without God's grace? Don't run from it. Embrace it. Embrace it. And when you don't understand it, say, God, in faith, I believe I am who you, who you say I am. And help me to grow into that reality. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. God, we struggle so much understanding, believing this, because there's no earthly comparison for us to make. This is just wild stuff. It blows us away. In faith, we choose to believe we are who you say we are. In faith, we choose to believe you are who you say you are. Help our unbelief because we all have unbelief. Help us to put our righteousness, our holiness, our sanctification on every day to be the people you say that we are. God, please. And we pray this in your son's precious name. All of us agree with this parent said, amen.